You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. Yes, off the heels of Jesse's birthday, our balloon budget is wiped out, and it's too bad because I really wanted a celebratory show tonight. Where were you two years ago? We celebrate the two-year anniversary of the Alliance. That's the day you remember we got quotes such as, it's about trust. We've looked each other in the eye. We've made an agreement. That from the ACC commissioner. Quote, there is no signed contract. There's an agreement among three gentlemen. I wouldn't negotiate the sale of a used toaster on that flimsy of a statement, but that is what the ACC and the Big Ten and the Pac-12, sorry if you're listening on podcast, moment of silence there, obligatory, when we talk about the alliance that was formed two years ago and since then, uh, just a mushroom cloud over the entire sport. We are jam-packed, we are high atop a surprisingly cool downtown Nashville, Tennessee. The high may have hit triple digits today, but we're cool in here. More on that in a second. We've got Team Scoop tonight. I've got just Basically, same old, same old from the NCAA, but we have to call these average people out because if you call average people out, sometimes they get spooked and average people, when spooked, sometimes change their modus operandi. Fingers crossed on that front. I got a Bama prediction for you tonight. I got a Miami prediction for you tonight. I've gotten more in-depth takeaways because now I watched episodes two and three of Swamp Kings. Me and Bradley just watched it like 15 minutes ago. And so we have got a jam-packed show. I cannot believe we're going to be in Utah. I'm going to be in Salt Lake City, Utah, a week from now. Uh, We'll be close to kickoff. I think we'll be about to kick off Florida and Utah out there. So a late kick live from Utah next week, by the way. It's just going to be earlier in the day. So stay tuned. A lot of stuff going on. They're watching us in Greenwood, South Carolina, Bartlettsville, Oklahoma, Mount Joy, Pennsylvania, Look at this forehead. It could be pouring sweat. So I get an email today and it's from building management core services. They say, hey, uh, we're just going to shut the AC off at six o'clock tonight. We're like, huh? And so like this is normally where management would step in and help you guys in your normal day to day. But you know the dynamic we have around here. No love lost. And so I just run a string across to another building, just assuming we're going to get hung out to dry. And let me tell you something, I got to give him credit, management stepped up tonight and he put, he put his shield over us, and by that I mean he emailed them and said, don't turn it off until nine. I don't care how effortless that sounds to you, this is a big move for management. He stepped up for us, and so you guys who see me screenshot some of the back and forths I have with him know that I don't have his name in my phone. I have management, and I have a silver spoon emoji next to him. Now, the... The meter that I like to use to convey my relationship with him is everything he does something management-esque, or every time he does something, I just add another spoon. Well, he subtracted a spoon from his name today, and so he's that much closer to being one of us. Still not all that close, but closer today than he was yesterday. So hats off to management. We appreciate it. Otherwise, Bradley was going to have to hold a fan up for me just off camera. We are 1,400 subs away from 200,000. We're there. We can see it. Finish the drill. Finish the drill. Subscribe to the channel if you have not already. I've got more things to talk to you about during the show, but that's enough of that. We need to get into it here. Uh, injuries are not fun, but we got to lead with it. Okay, Colin, here, here's a better endpoint for you. Team insiders all over the country are crossing fingers when they get practice reports sent out and you're just hoping, oh man, there's no injury news. Well, we can't say that about Washington because Cam Davis, their starting running back, out for the season uh, with a lower leg injury and that's a 13 touchdown guy last year. He was the clear RB1 for this team and 
Um, sometimes when you listen to odds makers talk about how they figure out how good a team is, this is where I differ with them. So Cam Davis goes down, big time player, but he's a running back. And so an odds maker would say, uh, I adjusted Washington half a point for this or three quarters of a point in my power ratings. I don't believe in that. I know what they mean. I understand the science behind it. But game to game, this is the kind of guy that not having could mean 11 points. You, you cannot assignate 11 points of value for a running back, of course. But game to game, and they're going to play 12 of them out there, including, what, nine in conference. Uh, this is a big loss for them because behind him, Washington just has transfers. Now, remember the other day when I told you I got Washington a little bit lower than the AP does, I said it's because I don't think they have the elite kind of talent and depth that maybe you would expect from a top 10 team. Well, I got some pushback on that because people mistakenly heard me say they don't have talent. I didn't say that at all. But at a place like Georgia where they got running back issues right now, they got another one and then another one. Bama, ditto, another one, another one. Ohio State, they don't have that at Washington. That's the difference. That's the talent I'm talking about. So they got three transfers there, none of whom you've probably heard a whole lot about, and the season hasn't started. Still going to be a very good team, but this is something to keep an eye on. Speaking of Georgia, they got running back issues there too. They're not the same kind of issues because there are several guys there that can get the job done for them. But when you, you pull up your phone the other day and you see Georgia running back out for the season with an injury, it's a big deal because it's Branson Robinson. And that was one of about three names I had kept hearing from their fall camp as a guy who's really, really shining. They thought he had feature back potential. Like they thought they could feature him instead of just strictly having to do running back by committee. I've told you about this for two weeks now. It's not a glaring like five alarm alert over Georgia, but it's a legitimate concern. Well, that was before they lost him. Now they lost Branson Robinson, and it's a real concern. You've still got the entirety of the season. This is just fall camp. So Dejon Edwards has been iffy health-wise. Uh, Kendall Milton's been iffy health-wise his entire career. So there are names in the room. There are not three or four names. There's not the kind of depth, in other words, that you'd ideally want to have if you're Kirby Smart. And remember, Kenny McIntosh was there last year. He went off to the NFL. This is where it becomes so important for Carson Beck to be what they think he is. Like, they don't think Carson Beck is some, as you would call them, game manager. Uh, Carson Beck's not, a, not a, an underneath facilitator, hand the ball off, let's win it, being ultra conservative. They think Carson Beck can win games with his arm. They're going to have to be right about that. I don't know when it's going to be. It could be against Kentucky, for all I know. It could be against Missouri. It could be against Ole Miss. It doesn't always have to be on the road at Tennessee when you get pushed. And so I think Carson Beck is going to be that, by the way. I think he's going to be a strength of their offense. I think Carson Beck will be a strength of their offense. The thing is, the more you start to hear about that running back position, the more I better be right about that is what I'm saying. Next up, this is a very peculiar situation at Iowa. I needed to touch on it. So Noah Shannon first things first, is out for the season. Not because of injury, but because of gambling. The gambling probe that has swept the Hawkeye State up there, he's caught up in it, so he's out for the season. That's a senior. He had 44 tackles last year, uh, was going to be a starter. He played in every game a season ago. So they're still going to have a really good defensive line. They, they feel like they got one of the best defensive lines they've had in a long time up there, and that's saying something because that's Iowa. But this little post-it on my index finger here, which I'm going to go ahead and ceremonially pop, is about Cade McNamara. So uh, in just a second, Director Collins is going to play some sound. But before he plays it, what are we talking about? Why are we talking about a Michigan quarterback? Well, if you've been, I don't know, celebrating what some would call the offseason, you may not know that Cade McNamara doesn't play for Michigan anymore. He transferred to Iowa. Hey, good for him, right? He's going to start. Or is he? So a couple of weeks ago, he had a non-contact leg injury. And because I was not one of the absolute highest profile programs in America, you have not gotten day-to-day -day updates on that. Well, that's where Shannon Earhart of KCCI News in Des Moines steps in because she asked Cade McNamara, I think almost in passing, sort of just expecting him to say, I'm good to go. She asked him, hey, how you feeling? Let's hear what he had to say. And then you talk about rehabbing. How are you coming along? Um, you know, my, I'm, I'm progressing. And um, that's all I want to say about that. 
not too good. Translation guide there. Not too good. Again, that was KCCI in Des Moines, Iowa. Um, so Jesse tells me that behind Mr. McNamara, we have a kid named Deacon. And so uh, the Deacon's going to have to probably handle it up there, because if I had to put my uneducated guess on it, that doesn't sound like a guy that's going to be ready to go for Utah State. And then they go to Iowa State week two. They got at Penn State in week four. Keep a close eye on that. Like Iowa is a very, very much a contending team in the Big Ten West. Oregon State has named DJ Uyangalale starting quarterback. This is not a shock. Uh, again, if you're the kind of person who just takes vacation in the summer, you may not even know he transferred up there. Yeah, a former five-star, former Clemson Tiger DJU. He is the starter for Oregon State. I'd put that at like a three on the surprise scale. Everyone expected it. At Arizona State, talked to you about this a week ago. Jaden Rashada has been named the starting quarterback there. So it has happened. You had the whole NIL drama with Florida. He's in, he's out, he's in, he's out. Immunity. Well, now he is off to Tempe, Arizona, and he is the starting quarterback for the Kenny Dillingham-led Arizona State Sun Devils. This is, it's a bigger surprise if you zoom out. Now, over the last week, we had started to pick up on the fact that this may happen, but you just talk in totality terms. This is like a seven, I would think, on the surprise scale, because in spring, folks around that program thought there was no shot this was going to happen. Going to be some bumps in the road, but I'm kind of happy and kind of excited to see it happen. Also, Grant Wells at Virginia Tech, hadn't talked about him a lot. He is going to be the starter there. He was there last year, and um, not a big surprise. I know they had brought a kid in to try and compete with him, but I, I was just interested overall. Like Producer Jesse and I, when we were putting the show together today, we were thinking, okay, all the quarterback battles that happen, like what's still left on the table? And what's wild is... While you've got your Oregon States and your Virginia Techs and your Arizona States wrapping things up, we don't know at Alabama. We think it's Jalen Milrow, but, but we don't know. Nick Saban himself said yesterday, just because I start him, if I do, that doesn't mean anything. Thank you, coach. Uh, Ohio State, we don't know. UCLA, we man, still don't know. And Ole Miss, we still don't know. So there, there's a lot still to be determined here. And I think what Nick Saban said about week one at Alabama kind of goes for a lot of those programs. I, I always think back, speaking of Bama, I always think back to the whole, the whole Jalen Hurts, Blake Barnett thing where the whole summer and whole spring, everyone thought, oh, it's Blake Barnett's team. It's Blake Barnett's team. And they were technically right because Blake Barnett started. And uh, I don't know how many of you grew up in the country. So some of you have never seen what a deer looks like when it is in your headlights. But don't worry. All you have to do is go watch the replay of Bama USC to open that season and just check out Blake Barnett. That's what a deer in headlights looks like. So then Jalen Hurts comes in fumbles the first snap he takes and still takes over the team and still leads Alabama to victory and, and the rest was history. So it didn't matter what the practice reports had said all spring and all summer. Some guys just have it when the lights come on. That could happen at Alabama. That could happen at Ohio State. That could happen when Dante Moore gets in the game for UCLA. Keep a close eye on these early week games just because they may be playing scrub teams in your mind. Keep an eye on those games. I've got some really, really good news to share with you. Actually, we've been given away Chalai of Supremacy by the truckloads. I had to order 50 more of them today. So we will not run short on Chalai anytime soon. But we're giving them away to people who promote the show. You can't buy them. You can only win them. And tonight, I got to bring you a message from Grant. Grant hit me up and said, I cannot technically verify this information due to HIPAA reasons. That always catches my eyes. When you say that you can't really tell me, you can't really full disclosure it because of HIPAA violations, uh, not HIPPO violations. So we're clearly talking in the feminine form here. But he said, I do hospital work, uh, location redacted, and I'm fairly good at getting IVs on difficult patients. I've started making the nurse requesting my help subscribe to your channel as payment for me placing an IV in their patient. This progressed further recently to the other nurses joking with the patients that he had subscribed to the YouTube channel as well. Well, the family members in the room and the patients all subscribed. Now that is the process. So, so our guy's really good at finding that vein. You just got to subscribe. Chalice of Supremacy on the way for Grant. And then Chris hits me up. This is Chris in his classroom at James Madison University. He said, I'm a professor at JMU in Virginia and figured one way I could promote the show in a chalice-worthy manner would be to advertise to my students on the first day of class. I encourage all educators to do this. 
Okay, I, I know there are varying degrees of opinion out there on secondary education and public education in general. You want to wipe away the doubt, do constructive things like forcing your students to subscribe to the Late Kick channel. Hello, it's, it's one, two, three. It's very, very simple. He continues, though. Listen to this. You want some trivia out there. I hope you find this chalice worthy. As a side note, the first football coach at James Madison was named Chalice McMillan, who passed away a couple of years ago. If I'm blessed enough to receive a chalice, mine will be nicknamed the Chalice McMillan of Supremacy. The Chalice McMillan of Supremacy is on its way to James Madison. Thank you, Chris. Thank you, Grant. And thank you, everyone, who continues to do the Lord's work out there in trying to get us to 200,000 subs. We move on. From talking about some of our closest friends to talking about some of our closest enemies. I'm going to take a sip out of my own chalice here. Um, the NCAA. What do you think about them? That, that is for you to ponder while I take a sip. If we could do the polling right now, I don't even think close friends and relatives of NCAA employees have a net positive impression of the organization right now. Okay, so paper pop time. It is my opinion that the NCAA pretty much is to college athletes as the Unabomber was to the Postal Service. I workshopped that on Jesse earlier today, and he said, that's a little edgy. I said, it's true, Jesse. Spot the flaw. It's Spot the error. It's true. So Mason Smith is suspended at LSU. Mason Smith's a former five-star guy. He hurt himself in their first game last year, as you may recall, against Florida State. So it just came out earlier this week that Mason Smith will miss the Florida State game this year because he's suspended by the NCAA. Let me walk you through this timeline. You thought Devontae Walker was bad, which it was. Let me walk you through this timeline. This organization is out for the best interest of uh, college athletes, as they would call them student-athletes. Just bear that in mind. Mason Smith and several other folks commit the ultimate crime of signing their name on things and profiting off of it. Five minutes later, it was all legalized in 2021. You might know it as NIL now, but Mason Smith and some folks made some money off autographs before that. Again, the crime here is writing your own name on something and benefiting from it. So the NCAA pops them. And the NCAA tells the folks who have been caught up in it, you can choose the game you're suspended for in the 2022 season. I know it sounds made up, but it's not. Sonny Ship has a whole thread about this over on Go 24-7 right now if you want to read up on it. So almost all of the guys who are caught up in it choose, you know, whatever FCS team they're going to play. They serve their suspension. The coaches largely mislead the media about why they're not playing, a little banged up, precautionary. In reality, they're suspended. No one knows it. So that's all well and good. Well, Mason Smith got hurt in the first game last year, and he sure wasn't going to sit out the FSU game. So the NCAA comes along and says, hey, bud, you, you don't get to count those injured games. You've still got to sit out a game as punishment. And oh, by the way, we're not going to afford you the opportunity to go by the same law that everyone else went by. You've got to sit out the first game. Who do you guys play in week one? Ooh, Florida State. They're supposed to be good, right? Not our problem. Deal with it. And then they checked out. The NCAA strikes me as people who don't work on Fridays, so they probably left the office for the last time today, and they'll be back on Monday. Um, so, last week, a couple weeks ago, I guess at this point, I was telling you about Devontae Walker. Devontae Walker had uh, been enrolled at a bunch of different places, but due to injury or COVID, had never played a football game. So he ends up at Kent State, breaks out. Wants to transfer and does transfer to North Carolina. And then the NCAA says, uh, nope, your transfer waiver is not granted. You are not eligible. And that's currently on appeal with no end in sight. Uh, probably I would expect it about one or two hours before kickoff of South Carolina, North Carolina, because that's how these people operate. It's pathetic. So anyway, just again, to keep you up to speed on what's happening, the NCAA has no problem retrofitting new rules onto old examples like Devontae Walker, who transfers before the NCAA tightens up the transfer rules, but then they look at him and say, hey, even though you left before we kind of changed the rules and you should be eligible regardless, we're going to apply the new standard to you anyway. They have no problem doing that. 
However, NIL gets legalized about 10 minutes after Mason Smith signs his name on something for cash. Mm-mm, sorry. We, we do not turn that retroactive lens the other way. Mason, you're out. And you're out when we say you're out, even though the rest of the folks that got popped are out whenever they chose to be out. Never mind the fact that none of you should be out. How does this stand legally? I saw a lot of you ask that today, and sometimes I don't want to go the way that everyone else is going, but I am a cattle running alongside all of you right now. We are a herd, and we are together asking, how does this stand legally? And I've always thought that about a lot of these NCAA decisions, and it turns out I was right, because when do you ever hear of a solid legal defense being mounted against the NCAA and it not succeeding in overwhelming fashion? I would imagine, you know, I have it on good authority. There are some strong legal minds down there in the Pelican State. I've seen John Grisham movies, so I know the kind of folks who live down there. Someone, someone's got to have some free time between now and the time they kick it off against FSU down in Orlando. Here's how bad it is. It's so bad with Devontae Walker, Shane Beamer is South Carolina's coach. They play North Carolina in week one. As Shane Beamer's like, Mm, that that's I don't I don't like that. That's a shame. I saw a bunch of Florida State fans today saying, "Come on, man, are you serious right now?" And they benefit from them being out. That's when you know you've crossed a line in the sand over which there is no coming back. Imagine telling kids twenty years from now, "Sit down, kiddo. Um, you see that autograph on your wall that the running back from USC made five hundred dollars for? Well, what if I told you?" Once upon a time, not once upon a Saturday, once upon a time, there was this dark, dark entity in Indianapolis, Indiana, cast a bad light over an otherwise great city up there, and they claimed to be out for the kids, and all they did was ruin it for the kids. It truly seems like the standard by which NCAA enforcement folks operate under is, which decision can we make here that screws a college athlete the most thoroughly? Whichever decision that is, that's the one we're going to make. Uh, it's happening all over the place. It's still today. It's happening. And it just happened to Mason Smith. And I have seen a grand total of one people slash persons I know defend this. And I really don't think they were defending it. College football nerds probably just, they just wanted to play devil's advocate. Because there were strong teacher's pet vibes to what they posted on Twitter a little while ago. I don't know which one of you it was. But I have, I have a pretty good feeling I'll find out on my iJosh after the show's over tonight. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Speaking of Indianapolis, I don't want to throw a great city under the bus, okay? So let's get back on track here. If you live up there in Indianapolis, and many, many folks in our audience do, you got an Academy Sports and Outdoors opening this week. Actually, it is. August 24th, August 25th, tomorrow, we are opening this thing. 1960 East Greyhound Pass, Carmel, Indiana, 46033. If you are so inclined to know the zip code, get over there, purchase a thing or two, screenshot that receipt, tag me on Instagram, tag me on Twitter. I'm giving away five chalai of supremacy to people who prove that they represented us at this Academy Sports and Outdoors grand opening. This is not the last one. We've got several more coming up this fall. Academy Sports and Outdoors, our exclusive partner. This, this bright, beautiful blue screen right over my right shoulder. Just picture it if you're listening on podcast. Represents the entity that makes this show free of charge to you. And if I ever need new t-shirts, which I rarely do, but if I do, 
They got my hookup. They got your hookup if you need anything from a grill to a basketball and everything in between. So make sure you hit them up, academy.com, if you can't get to one in person. Let's roll on. You know what I haven't done? I have not even so much as acknowledged the live chat. And I apologize for that. Appreciate you guys being tuned in. Make sure you like the video and subscribe to the channel. Uh, one of the most highly anticipated segments of the late summer is upon us now. <clears throat> it's time to predict Alabama's record this year. A matter everyone has developed an opinion on. You know they play four of the top 14 teams in the JP poll this year. You know they play eight of the top 30 teams in the preseason JP poll this year. I say that because someone will be in these comments telling me they play a cupcake schedule. Facts be damned. Cupcake schedule. Same rule for Notre Dame. Doesn't matter if Notre Dame plays the Chiefs and the Vikings in week three and four. They play a cupcake schedule. That's the end all be all. A lot of hyperbole in the room around Alabama right now. Sounds a little something like this. If they don't win 11 games this year, like if, if Alabama were to go nine and three this year, then fill in the blank. And in that blank is just, it's all kind of stuff that's probably not true. The reality, regardless of what happens this year, the reality is they're loaded again next year. They got a five-star quarterback in Julian Sain coming in. The reality is, as long as Nick Saban's going to be there, they'll be in it every year. That's the reality. Now, this year, what we want to know is, what's the best case, what's the worst case, and what's the most likely? Let's dive in. Uh, the best case for Alabama is always going to be 12-0, because the best case scenario with one of, if not the most talented rosters in the country and a team that will be favored in every game is always going to be 12-0. In that scenario, quarterback has been above average for them. And above average means like if it's Jalen Milrow, he's making good decisions. He's, he's putting up 75 rushing yards per game. He's not turning the ball over. Milrow's got a cannon. Like people who, people who think the, the passing game just evaporates, if Jalen Milrow's their quarterback, uh, needs to think about things, not through the lens of what they've had with Bryce or what they've had with Tua or Mac Jones. You need to think about the things through the lens of having a running threat at quarterback, having a an extremely versatile run-blocking offensive line, having three or four backs that you have to be concerned with, and having speed in their wide receiver room. I don't believe a wide receiver one has emerged on this team, but they got a lot of speed in their receiving room. That is a recipe for explosive plays in the passing game because of what you have to account for on the ground. So it doesn't evaporate. Anyway, if that's all happened, if they are what I think they'll be on the offensive line, if that secondary is what I think they'll be, uh, that, that edge rusher room, that linebacker room, if they are pretty much just what we think they'll be, they can go 12-0. They can go undefeated. But that's not the fun part of this segment. The fun part of this segment for most of you is, hmm, what's the worst that could happen for Alabama this year? 8-4, and four, I think, is the worst case for them. It's a very low number. 8-4 and four is the lowest I've gone and the worst case for Alabama in several years. It's only because of the risk you run in not having good quarterback play. They've had, they haven't even had to settle for good quarterback play. They've had, at the very worst, well above average to, in many cases, great quarterback play. But if they just have average to below average there, regardless of who it is, or if they never end up settling on a guy, and that wide receiver room's just a mess, and your leading receiver's like 680 yards or something like that, and they end up having to play from behind a lot, which in this scenario puts them in very unfamiliar and uncomfortable territory. And if their defensive line's not good enough, you forget the secondary. I think the secondary will be good in any event. But if their defensive line's not good enough, so you can shorten games on them, limit possessions, and when they do have the ball, they just can't move it effectively enough. Uh, there's an eight and four. When you look at their schedule, like I said, they play eight of my top 30 teams in the country. So if you've got those questions and they don't pan out and you play that kind of schedule, you can lose four games. And if you're anyone other than Alabama, you can lose five or six of them. So only four is still indicative of how much respect I have for that team. The most likely record for Alabama this year, I think is 11-1 and one because I'm extremely high on the team. The secret lies with that offensive line. That's why I've been pounding on that drum in the entirety of the summer and really coming out of spring. Um. There are people around the program who think Eric Wolford, their offensive line coach, is the best assistant on that team. That includes the coordinators. 
So he's got all the talent in the world to work with. And I think that Caden Proctor coming in and securing that left tackle position, which he has, was a key to a lot of the other dominoes shaking out the way they wanted it to. I think they go probably eight deep with guys they feel they can win with. So they have got a surplus of, of high-level NFL talent on their offensive line. Just hadn't said it lately. And they haven't played at that standard lately. I think the ground game will be as effective as you've seen it in a long time. But what I am the most excited about with Alabama is their secondary. And the depth and versatility in their secondary, I just I don't picture the kind of game this year that Tennessee was able to have against them last year. Don't picture that. I think they'll be very good. I think Kevin Steele, even though it wasn't a world-renowned hire as D.C., is going to be good at, at the very least from a mental standpoint for the way that team plays. You don't have to be a rocket scientist or a, a five-time national champion winning football coach to have watched Alabama over the past 10 years and thought to yourself, defensively, they don't look the same anymore the past couple of years. I'm not telling you Kevin Steele is the key to overturning that, but the folks around the program who've been there a while, they loved the hire a lot more than just your innocent bystander. And I think that's probably why they did. But one more thing, if they go 11-1, and or if they were to go 12-0, and their special teams this year, uh, especially with Kool-Aid being one of the best returners in the country, their secondary this year and their edge guys being able to force turnovers, it probably means they've played a more complementary style than you've seen them in five or six years play. There were some teams in the mid-20-teens that scored a ton of non-offensive touchdowns for them. That's the kind of team they have to be this year. I think they can be that. So I got sky-high expectations for Alabama. I'm putting them at 11-1, and and that's obviously right there in the playoff picture. That's probably playing for the SEC championship. So I haven't sold my stock yet. But I know a lot of you have. I know the comments will be lively there. The good news is we will play the season out, and someone will be right. Someone will have excuses. Let's move on. Bold prediction time. Bold predictions, chapter 34. And we're going straight to Los Angeles, California. And we're throwing it right out there. Zeke from Lakewood, California says, USC is going to win the national championship. Not the Pac-12, not make the playoff, not make the title game. They're winning the national championship. 94th last year, defensive points per game. 106th defensive yards per game, 121st defensive explosive plays per game allowed. Woeful. Got to be so, so much better than that. So you bring in an Alexander and you bring in a Cobb and you bring in a Sullivan and you bring in a Lucas. They brought in a ton, a ton of talent and depth up front. They got, they got kids from the true freshman class ready to start defensively. Better all work out. We're talking about winning a national championship here not contending for one. It better all work out. This is a 9.25 on the boldness scale for me. And that's with Caleb Williams. Only because I think there is a freeze point. We normally don't talk about the freeze point until the season starts. I'll explain it later. But there's a freeze point that you have to hit. There's just a fancy or an unfancy late kick term for a minimum baseline that you have to be playing in certain areas. Uh, they certainly have never met it. Lincoln Riley's teams have never met it defensively. Doesn't mean they can't. I'm the first one to tell you that. I think he'll win a title one day. But if it's this year, there has to be pretty significant improvement there. I'm going to make it a nine and a quarter because I'll have to see it. I think they're going to be a good team. But there's, there's a big gap between being really good and being a national champion. Next up, this is from Allen in Georgetown, Texas. He says, Texas A&M wins the SEC West. This is a nine. Normally. The question when you predict something like this is, do they have the roster? Well, that doesn't happen to be the question with Texas A&M. They've got the players. It's one of the only cases where a team absolutely has the players to win a division that LSU and Alabama are in, but you've got questions because of coaching staff and because of philosophy. And those will be questions until they aren't. Just the quotes, the quotes flow on this show. It'll be a question until it's not. S&P Plus, Bill Connolly's system, has them playing the fourth toughest schedule in the country. So not only do they play in the West, but they go to Tennessee. They got South Carolina from the East. They don't have Georgia, but they got pretty much everyone else. Uh, the, the synergy, when I was talking to Lucci and, and I was talking to 
Nuno and the guys from TechSags at SEC Media Days, I was on their show and they were saying, what's the one thing aside from Bobby Petrino that you want to see? And I said, synergy. Like when I watch a and I'd love for things to flow. I'd love for every first down not to feel like it's pulling teeth to try and get it. I would love to feel like, like everything is moving in the same direction and there's harmony and there's synergy and there's not a lot of that if you watched them last year. They get that. They could be a tough out. We'll see. They, they do get Bama at home. It's a tough schedule. I'm going to put a nine on it. Next up, I don't know that I've ever heard this term, but Boston from Concord, North Carolina, said we will have a Power 5 team go defeated this season, which means 0-12. This is negative, Boston. But we're going to roll with it. I'm going to make this a 9.75. This is tough to have happen. The last time it happened was 2015 Kansas. It's happened three times this millennium. 2008 Washington, 2006 Duke, and 2015 Kansas. We didn't count the COVID year. So in full seasons, it's happened three times this millennium. Stanford and Northwestern have over-under win totals of two and a half. Stanford does play Sacramento State this year. Northwestern plays UTEP and Buffalo. Now, I went to the model, and I said, model, what would we make those games right now? If we had to put a line on Northwestern UTEP, we would have Northwestern winning that thing by about a touchdown. We would have Northwestern over Buffalo by about six and a half. So they're, they're going to be favored. Uh, not by much. And I, t- to be honest with you, there is no model in this building that can properly put a line on Stanford versus Sacramento State. And I challenge anyone out there who claims they do have one. So I'm going to put a nine and a half on this. Look, winning a game, just a game, that's all we need. And how far Stanford has fallen. Now, for the record, there are some pretty informed voices that are telling me, hammer the over. Stanford is not anywhere near that bad this year. It's just people don't know it. And I'm like, okay, what about Northwestern? And they say, hammer the over with Stanford. And then they walk away from you. No one knows what to expect from Northwestern. Lastly, uh, this is very, very, very bold. This is, this is from Ian in Kingsport, Tennessee. He said the playoff will not feature a big conference member. So there won't be a Big Ten team and there won't be a Big 12 team in the playoff. Ian, this is really difficult for me to see. And I'm going to tell you why. One of the reasons is on your screen right now, and that's Ohio State. And if not them, the next reason is also on your screen, and that's Michigan. And if not them, there's Penn State. And if not them, there's Texas. And if not them, there's OU. You're telling me that you're keeping... Those are, we got three of the top eight odds teams to win the national title in that group, by the way. So we're keeping all of them out. What has had to happen for that to go down? No Big Ten team. No Big 12 team. What do we got, three from the SEC? Maybe. This could be, Jesse, this could be where my... My Clemson FSU doomsday scenario happens where FSU loses to LSU, they lose to Clemson, they go the rest of the way undefeated, and they make it to Charlotte, and they beat Clemson in the ACC title game, and voila, FSU is in as a two-loss conference champ. Clemson gets in because there's chaos everywhere else, and we got two ACC teams in the playoff. No? I'm looking around. I see a bunch of shaking heads. I'm imagining them because I'm alone in the studio right now. I'm going to make this a 9.75. Like, you're not keeping both of those conferences out. You may not keep either one of them out. And that's a teaser for our season preview show Sunday night, where, yes, friends, I will be delivering my season predictions. I will be giving you playoff, not because I crave it, but because you do. I'll be giving you conference title matchups. I'll be giving you winners. I'll tell you Xavier Worthy's going to win the Heisman. I'll do all that Sunday night. You know what we're doing next Tuesday, though, aside from a show? Next Tuesday is when an auction ends. Now, we did one of these a month ago, but we didn't get to properly promote it, so we're doing another one. I think it's ludicrous for anyone to pay money to talk to me. However, I love St. Jude, and so St. Jude partners with us occasionally, and we auction off a private call with me. Now, I take it upon myself to deliver over and above whatever the baseline is we're offering. So we've done a couple of these. We've raised thousands of dollars and this one is live right now. I'll tweet out a link after the show, but you see it on the screen there. Um, 
the last couple of conversations I've had from the winners of this St. Jude auction have been very fun because I'll give you pretty much anything on these calls. You want behind the scenes stories. You want to know what coaches are really like. Now, the rule is you can't record it, obviously. And I, I make you prick your finger and put it up to the phone as a blood oath that you won't repeat what we talk about. But pretty much anything and everything. You want the real scoop on management? You want to know what Jesse looks like? These are the kinds of things that you can purchase the right to know if you win this auction. So we got, we got a couple of shows before it ends. Next Tuesday at 6 p.m., I want to say 6 p.m. Eastern is when that ends. So keep an eye on it. A bit early, a bit often. It is for a very good cause. And that cause is not the Josh Foundation. That cause is St. Jude. They're watching us in New York, New York tonight. Hillsborough, Missouri, San Clemente, California. Thank you so much. But we need to go all the way down to South Florida. Why? Because it's time to predict Miami's season. We won't that be fun and controversy-free. Mm. Um, I've done that a lot on the show tonight. I don't know why. Don't worry about it if you're listening on podcasts. It's not relevant. What is the college football public's temperature on Miami? Because I've noticed a lot of emotion sneak into the room. So rarely can I go out on the streets or rarely can I send Bradley the associate out on the streets for me to poll people. And he asks them, hey, what do you, what do you think about Miami, fam? And the guy says, well, I hate him. Or, or Mario's going to win the national title. There's no in between. There's just a bunch of emotion. And here's what I'm looking for. I'm looking for logic. I'm looking for sound, well-thought-out reasoning. I'm looking for them going five and seven last year and this year they go, what and why? Well, the best case for Miami this year, I think, is 10 and 2. I think there's a path to a double-digit win season. This would just mean the dynamic really was that bad last year. And it would mean both those coordinator hires this year were slam dunks. And it would mean that portal class hit the spot. And that true freshman class, you know, Francis Malagoa and company, they really hit the spot. Offensive line and defensive line hype was legit. As it turns out, uh, run defense ended up coming of age. It wasn't a glaring weakness, and Tyler Van Dyke was back under Shannon Dawson's offense. That's what it would mean if they go 10-2. and two. So that's the best case. It's the ACC. Now, they got a pretty difficult schedule, but we're talking best case here. Yeah, there's a 10-win season in there somewhere. But man, there's a 6-6 six and six in there, too, because I think that's the worst case for Miami. And I go right back to the schedule. If they're wobbly, if they're weak, if there's a glaring weakness, like run defense, for example, you get no breaks here. You play A&M, they can smash you if that's a weakness. Clemson can smash you. Uh, look, you play NC State, you play Florida State, uh, Louisville, a lot of these teams can take advantage of that if it's that big a weakness. Those first-year coordinators, maybe you don't have the synergy that you want. And, you know, look, maybe it's as simple as run defense. Or maybe Tyler Van Dyke has another down year and you're left wondering, wow, what happened? Why was his first year as a starter his best year? Stuff happens in college football all the time. Now, I don't necessarily think that's the way we're going this year, but I have to acknowledge that's the worst case, six and six. So the most likely record for Miami, I went back and forth on this, is eight and four. That's where I'm going with them. So I do slightly like the over, slightly. But I'm tempering expectation too. I think it'll be a transitional season. If you grew up in Georgia, where I grew up, you know how, how radical spring and fall can be. It's that way in a lot of the country. Like you could have a high of 80 and a high of 40, and that can happen in the same week. You folks who live out in Denver, for example, you know what those transition seasons are like. Well, you could have an entire football season that's a transition season too. And that could mean that you end up um, you know, beating Florida State, but you know, losing by three touchdowns to Texas A&M. Both of those things can happen. Same year. I think that'll be what it feels like. I think, though, that there'll be certainly enough promise and enough northward pointing arrows that make you think 2024 is going to be the year. I think, I think Miami will be a very hyped team next year because of some of the flashes that they show this year. So I'm going eight and four for them. I will be hawking the comment schedule or the, uh, the comment section for what you think about that schedule and what you think they're going to do this year. Speaking of which, speaking of schedules, we thought it was time tonight 
Cause, cause once we're at Sunday, it's game week and we got a travel week next week. So we thought it was time to break out a question that many of you have asked. So let's go to Savannah. Always lovely this time of year and every time of year. Let's go to Daniel in Savannah. He said, out of potential conference contenders, who has schedules that stand out on the easier side? Well, Georgia is the answer, Daniel. I got five of them, but Georgia is the answer. Uh, Stats and Info, or as you may know him, producer Jesse, tells me that Georgia plays one of the top 15 odds teams in the country to start the year. We're talking about the playoff odds. They play one out of the top 15. Everyone else in the SEC plays at least three, other than Vanderbilt. Everyone else plays at least three. Many of them, including Bama, play at least four. Georgia plays one. They miss all the top-end teams. They miss Bama. They miss LSU. They miss A&M from the West. Since they are Georgia, they don't play Georgia in the East, which, which is common sense, but a lot of people forget that. Their out-of-conference is bad. Not all their fault. The, the SEC made them cancel the Oklahoma game. Where's the tough road spot? At Auburn and then at Tennessee towards the end of the year. There's no stretch. Like There's no stretch of games where you say, oh boy, Florida, Missouri, Ole Miss, Tennessee, is that the stretch? That's about as manageable a tough stretch as you get in the SEC. So I'm going to go with Georgia. Uh, Michigan, absolutely horrendous schedule by anyone's standards. They, I, I don't know if you guys saw this. Okay, so, so we're not going to talk about it a lot. You know, Jim Harbaugh has decided to suspend himself the first three games of the year. Well, Michigan did. So Harbaugh is suspended the first three games of the year. They announced different head coaches for each game. They play East Carolina, UNLV, and Bowling Green. It's great. It's a good gesture. Uh, There is no shot in you-know-what that they'd be doing this if they had Texas in Week 2 like they do next year. Their schedule is so light, they can just afford to sort of, you know, spin the wheel and see where it lands. You're a head coach today. You're a head coach next week. Week three, who wants it? Week three, you. You can be a head coach. That's how big a joke the schedule is. Uh, So no team, if you look at the schedule here, there is no team with a preseason over-under win total above seven and a half that they play until at Penn State in November. Only Big Ten team with no Power Five out-of-conference opponent. Uh, But that means there's no room for error. So, you know, the trade-off for having a workable schedule is you better win all your games or you may need help. And that's fair. I think that's fair. UCLA out in the Pac-12. Now, remember when we're talking about light schedules, it's light relatively speaking. So UCLA is one of the top six teams in the Pac-12. We've been talking about that for a while. There's like a six-pack of teams near the top, and UCLA is one of them. The difference with them and the others is all the other five teams in that top six, they play at least four of the other five. Some of them play five of the other five. UCLA plays three of the other five. UCLA is at Utah early as well. Utah's got quarterback questions with Cam Rising. And also, UCLA plays six of the bottom six teams in the Pac-12. There's no Washington there. There's no Oregon there. Hmm. I'm not stroking my chin. I think I spit on myself. That's what I was doing. So UCLA, not an easy schedule. It's easier than some of the competition out there. Oklahoma, we've been talking about them for a while. Got to repeat it one more time. Hold on. Management texted me. Oh, just a pro wrestling quote. I introduced him to pro wrestling about five minutes ago, and now he can't get enough of it. So Oklahoma, they don't play Kansas State. They don't play Texas Tech. They don't play Baylor. They got an easy non-con because they had their game with Georgia canceled. Not their fault. No one's blaming you, but it is what it is. They don't have a Power 5 out-of-conference opponent, but they do play SMU in Week 2. I asked our model, model, what do we think about SMU at Oklahoma? The model thinks it's under a two-touchdown game. So very competitive. Rhett Lashley and company out there doing big things in the portal. Let's keep an eye on that game. Oklahoma plays seven of the bottom eight teams in terms of preseason odds in the Big 12. Again, that it's not scientific. It, it's not the end of the world, but it is a metric that we like to follow around here in lieu of a better one. Louisville 
I was on ESPN Radio in Louisville yesterday, and I was asked, what is a dark horse team out there? What's a team that maybe you think could be sneaking around late in a conference title picture that no one expected? And it just so happened I was on in Louisville, but my answer is Louisville. I probably sounded like a homer, but it's, that's not the case. I promise if it would have been Tucson, Arizona, I would have said, why isn't it pronounced Tucson? And then I would have said, hey, watch out for Louisville. Those would have been our two topics of conversation out there. Look at the schedule for Louisville. There's no Florida State. There's no Clemson. There's no North Carolina. They avoid the top three teams in the conference. They play six of the seven bottom teams in the conference. They do face Notre Dame. They get them at home, though. And Jeff Brom, new head coach here, you got a lot of the, the sneak attack, surprise angle kind of, kind of fog, kind of mist around them. Their over-under win total is eight and a half. It's not because they necessarily equate to other eight-win caliber teams. It's because this schedule is secretly really workable. If, if Clemson had this schedule, if Miami had this schedule, there'd be a lot more being said about it. It's Louisville, though, kind of an anonymous program nationally, and that's why people aren't picking up on it. It's only a kick, a jump, a block, it's only a serve, it's only a tackle, a run, it's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot. Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. All right, I wanted, to, I wanted to take some time at the end of the show tonight. Now, I really appreciate you guys being here. Show's not over. Don't go anywhere. Um, and make sure you like the video if you haven't already and subscribe to the channel. Hey, hey, by the way, could we reach 200,000 subs by this weekend? It was once thought impossible at management. And now we're, that's us knocking on the door. We were less than 1,400 away at the start of this show tonight. We, we have had our guerrilla grassroots marketing campaign going on. And it worked even better than I thought it would because we have seen a massive surge in subs over the past couple of weeks, really. And it's sort of crescendoed right now, man. We're getting a ton of them every day. So just sub to the channel and then get five friends to do it. And that's it. It's free. Nothing happens. You just click a button and then you forget about it. Keep watching the show, though. Swamp Kings, the Florida Netflix documentary about Urban Meyer 06 through 09, 010. 010 never made sense to me, but I say it anyway. It's on Netflix right now. I have gotten through episodes two and most of episode three, and I got some more takeaways. This video did pretty good for us the other night, so apparently you're interested in it. Motivating accomplished people is one of the hardest things to do in the world. There's no blueprint for it. No one's ever an expert on it, especially their first time around. And I always, I always love watching how cringeworthy it is when someone wins a national championship for the first time or a group of people do, and you think, man, we're about to do it again. We got Tim Tebow back. Now he's going to be the starter, and we got a better recruiting class coming in. I guarantee you, you go back to Preview Magazine Syndrome, or PMS, as we've trademarked it, to start the 07 season. I mean, can you imagine how simple it sounded? Well, they just won the title. The Tebow kid's back. They've got a better roster. So this team's going to be better than the one that just won the title. Except they weren't because there's more to the game of football and the game of life than that. And Urban Meyer is sitting there in this documentary saying, I became so mad with this team. Well, he was mad with himself. That's who he's mad with, because he couldn't figure it out. You, you reach a point where you've got all the raw ingredients in the room. The stove won't turn on. Like It's the thing you never thought would go wrong is what goes wrong. All of these talented people aren't performing at the same level they did last year. It's just magically, they're only at an eight instead of an 11. Well, how do I, how do I change that? And the answer is, I don't know. If you're Urban Meyer in 2007, I don't know because I've never been in this situation. If you're Nick Saban after you won one in 09, 
He should have had a better idea because he had done it before, but even then, that 2010 Alabama team lost three games. Check out Jimbo Fisher after he won the title at FSU. This stuff happens. Gene Chizik won a title in 2010, and the entire university imploded the next year. This stuff happens. And it's always remarkable when someone can figure out how to do it again. Urban Meyer, a year after that, in 08, figures out how to do it again. Oh, by the way, you'll love this. So, you know, when I was talking about Swamp Kings the other night, I went on about a a two and a half or a three minute rant about how I thought Tim Tebow's recruitment was the most important recruitment in the history of college football recruiting. I clipped that video where I said approximately nothing that hasn't been known for 15 years. I put it on Twitter. Some dude called spoiler alert on me. He called me a hack. And he said, some of you just can't stand but to ruin it for everyone else. And I'm like, buddy, did you not know Tim Tebow committed to Florida? Dude, wait till you hear about the tight end they had on that team. If you didn't know Tebow committed to Florida, if that's a spoiler alert for you. So anyway, sorry for anybody who did not know that Florida failed to win the title again in 07, but they don't. Canned Gatorade is all over this Netflix doc. I love the locker room scenes. I'm really surprised they have that deep a catalog of behind-the-scenes footage from those years because multimedia departments weren't as big in the late 2000s as they are now. They have an army now. But canned Gatorade, like Gatorade in glass is undefeated. Gatorade in a can is at least in sight of Gatorade in a glass. And they're down in that stuff like it's going out of style. Halftime, end of the third quarter, you got Florida Gators down in canned Gatorade. As, as far as I'm concerned, if we wanted to replace the stars on the American flag, you put a canned Gatorade on there, and I'm not going to vote for it over what we have now, but man, it would be a good substitute. Canned Gatorade is great. Fruit Punch canned Gatorade is... They should sell that stuff for like $25.99 a bottle at Publix in the wine section. That's where they should sell that at. So anyway, in 2007, uh, Auburn goes in there and beats Florida in the swamp, no less. And later in that year, I I will never forget this. These games felt so big. It was like pay-per-view games. Actually, no, pay-per-view games actually had a place in the history of college football. They were terrible. But you, you get what I mean, like a prize fight. Florida goes to LSU in 2007. LSU is number one in the country at the time. Game day's there. Uh, Whatever we called the tour in 07 would have been there if I wasn't still a child, basically. And Urban Meyer was talking about how that's the loudest environment he's ever been in. Tiger Stadium, LSU, loudest environment he's ever been in. Loudest environment that I had been in for a long time until this Tennessee game last year against Alabama. And and to be honest, you get at LSU at the right time, no one's going to match that. No one's going to match the decibel level. It's incredible. So you know what it made me do? It made me very nostalgic. I've talked to you guys about this before. High school audience will not be able to relate to this. I'm sorry, guys. You just missed it. I'm sorry. You got a lot of things going for you right now that prior generations didn't have. You got a lot of stuff working against you. You never got to grow up in an era where the cell phone was not the center of everyone's life. I'm sorry that you didn't get to experience it. Because it was wonderful. Now, you may be saying, what are you talking about? Cell phones were around in 2007. That's true. But the video picture quality on your standard iJosh in 2007 was not such that you even bothered recording stuff at games. And if you did, it was so unique. You had like, hey, my buddy shot footage at the game. Look at this. Because no one thought about that because it was grainy and it was was bad looking. And and you were just going to immerse yourself in the moment instead. I mean, anyone who was taking content there or gathering content was doing like the disposable camera style. And most people just didn't do that. So I'm a believer stadiums were louder back then because people were not focused on anything other than making noise. And now a lot of folks let the other folks make noise and they're worried about capturing it. And that's why I have many reasons why I don't watch pro wrestling anymore. But that's one of them. I can't stand looking at that. I know that's it makes me sound 75 years old. That's okay. I'm right about this. So I don't, mind how, I don't mind how old it makes me sound if I'm right about something. Age is a social construct anyway. It's not even real. That's why I don't celebrate birthdays. So Urban Meyer was talking about that, and it made me think about a theme we've talked about on the show before. College football games and environments were at their best pre-advanced cell phone. 
sporting events, concerts, entertainment events in front of large audiences were at their best in the pre-advanced cell phone era. And this, this, this time, like 07, mid-2000s, early 2000s, and then, of course, the late 2000s, those are the last times that you're going to be able to go back and watch footage of an era where when something big happens, you didn't just have a sea of cell phones up in the air. You may have had flash bolts, but most people weren't holding the camera. Vince Young sprinting to the, the far right corner in the Rose Bowl against Matt Leinert and Reggie Bush and that Trojan team in 05 to win the game. You got some flash bulbs, but you got eyeballs locked on the game. No one's got their cell phone in the air. Uh, Hogan Rock, WrestleMania 18. Flash bulbs, otherwise everyone's got their eyeballs on the ring. Those are two that I always go back to because those are two really big events in my, my adolescence that I remember. But this, this time right here, 07, for many reasons, I think college football was peaking in the mid to late 2000s. That's just one of them. Uh, teams getting up after losing a title. It, it, it happens, and that, that happens after this year, but it was tough, man. Urban Meyer, he's like pulling the cord on a lawnmower that's out of gasoline, and he's wondering, how come this is not working? I pulled the same cord last year, and we won a title. I'm pulling it this year. And, just, and you keep thinking you're eventually going to. Nope, not in 07. But when I was watching episode three of Swamp Kings, Bradley, the associate, was in there with me. And they get like later in episode three, and there's B-roll of just a police car speeding down the road in Gainesville. And Bradley said, Oh, finally, here we go. That's what people have felt when they were watching this thing. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna do the spoiler alert thing. I'm serious, but you can't talk about Florida in the late 2000s without talking about critical amounts of legal issues. And they, they sort of skirt around them in this thing. I mean, they, they acknowledge them, but it's acknowledging from a distance. It's like, hey, I hung out with a tiger today. Well, come to find out, I went to the zoo and looked at a tiger through plexiglass. Like, yeah, they acknowledge it, but. Do they really acknowledge it? Mm, I'll let you decide that when you watch it. But um, Urban Meyer talked about not kicking guys off the team. So I, he, he took a lot of criticism, rightfully so, for how big a disaster that program was behind the scenes. And he has taken criticism since then for a lot of things, both professionally and personally, that have played out in the public arena. And he should have. I'm not here to defend any of that. But when he said, after I kicked the kid off the team and he ended up dead a year later, I decided I'm not kicking kids off the team anymore. Uh, that's how I'd run a program. I would not kick kids off the team. I'd have, I'd have disciplinary measures and punishment-related measures in place, and I may not put you on the field, and I may suspend you. I'm not kicking you off the team. Uh, Urban Meyer's like that. Saban is, it, except for extreme examples, he's like that. I believe in that. So it would be very hypocritical of me to criticize him for that. Um, but it's been pretty entertaining. I get some of the criticism. Some of you wanted more. I will always remind you <laughs> the, the trade-off. When you get Tebow and Brandon Spikes and you get Urban Meyer to sit down for this thing, when you get the university signing off, when you get the licensing you need, I told you what documentaries were about. They were about content and they were about cast and creative, really cast and creative. Who can you get to go on the record? Well, they got the big names on the record. The trade-off is where are they going to let you go? What kind of creative direction are you really going to be allowed to have? And so you're going to have to, you're going to have to enjoy some things from a distance in this one. I got episode four still to watch. I'm looking forward to it. Okay. Pate State Store. Any minute. I want it to be right. We're not going to open it before we feel comfortable that you're not going to crash it. And so we're doing it right this time. It's going to look really spiffy. Uh, PateStateMaterial.com. It's not open yet, so don't try and go crash it yet. But any minute, any minute, you'll know. I'll put out the call on the socials, and you'll know, and I, you'll love what we have in there. And it's going to be limited inventory, and we're going to expand it every week in the fall. So you're going to love what we have. Uh, very proud of it. There is even a Once Upon a Saturday tour design in there that, that plays heavily thematically off of the Rumors album. And that's why I've been referencing that so much lately. No, nah, I'm kidding you. I just love Rumors, but you'll love it. So keep an eye out for that. We'll be back here Sunday night, same time. 
I'm going to drive down to Georgia tonight and hide for the last off days I have until December 22nd. Yes, that's our work calendar. And so I will see you guys Sunday. Until then, for producer Jesse, for director Colin, for Bradley the Associate, I'm Josh Pate. Take care. Have a great rest of your night and God bless. Producers Matt Damon and Ben Affleck explore how art and music sustained hope during the siege of Sarajevo, thanks in part to humanitarians and the band U2. Kiss the Future, new documentary now streaming exclusively on Paramount+. Plus. Go to Paramount Plus to try it free. Terms apply.